0: ask you, Lord God, that many of them uh, would, be, would feel, Lord God, your presence, your spirit, your comfort, Lord, but also your boldness, your encouragement, Lord, to continue to live, Lord, in, in such a, a difficult place in which they live, Lord, in the Middle East, in Africa, and China. Lord, we ask you for your strength upon them. And we pray all these things, Father, in the name of the one who saved us and who can do something about our prayer, who can answer, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. amen, amen. You may be seated, and if you can open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter six, Luke chapter six, and our title of our message is "Jesus, Our Sabbath Rest." Jesus, Our Sabbath Rest, and this comes from the account of Luke, the account of Luke regarding Jesus claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and I, I picked this uh, the title specifically it comes from the book of Hebrews because we'll eventually get to the book of Hebrews. And uh, speaking of eventually getting there, I need to set my time. Otherwise, we will never get there, and we will be wondering where the communion is. And so I am going to set my time so we can get there without any problems. There it is. It starts now. All right. Luke chapter 6, it says, On a Sabbath, Jesus passed through the grain fields, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered and said to them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the sacred bread, which was not lawful for, uh, for any but the priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. And then he told them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was paralyzed. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the sabbath, but to, so that they could find a charge against him. But when he knew their thoughts and told the man with the par- uh, but he knew their thoughts and told the man with the paralyzed hand, "Get up here and stand here." And he got up there and stood there. And Jesus said to him, "I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his, hands, uh, his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they I do to Jesus. What they I do to Jesus. So this eventually began the, 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 the snowball effect that we see how Jesus is betrayed And eventually given into the hands of sinners, into the hands of the Romans, by the very Pharisees themselves, by the very scribes and the Pharisees who conspire against Jesus. And this was one of the reasons, the Sabbath. Now remember that there were three things that the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the the time of Jesus, they saw circumcision, they saw uh, the kosher laws, and they saw uh, the Sabbath as one of the primary things that distinguishes them from all the other religions. Uh, Based on those three things, they they saw Judaism and they saw God as as being okay with those things, as a way to God. Uh, Those three things became the embodiment of their religion. And those three things became an issue at the time of Jesus, became an issue of how the people were kept from truly knowing the Lord. And this one issue is the Sabbath here, but there were three things that they mainly saw as the epitome of Judaism. Circumcision, the kosher laws, which is the food laws, and the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a huge issue. Uh, Turn to Mark chapter 2. Let's read it from a synoptic account, meaning that we're going to read it from another gospel writer, and that's that's Mark. Mark writes it in chapter 2. And look at verse 23. Almost identical, but there's a few... Different things that we're told by Mark that we're not told in Luke. It says, On the Sabbath, verse 23 of chapter 2, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking picking some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? When he entered the house of God, and at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and he also gave uh, gave some to his companions, and he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Okay? So we were told something very interesting about Sabbath being made for man, not man for the Sabbath, which is a very important part of understanding what the Sabbath uh, was all about. But let's, let's look at the first slide, and this is regarding the book of Luke. Remember, Luke has the main emphasis is salvation comes through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the main emphasis of Luke. In fact, it's the major theme throughout the book of Luke is salvation. Salvation is found in no other not in, uh, uh, in heaven and on earth is found in the person of Jesus Christ, only in him, okay? There's no one else that can save us. You can read it, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which is also written by Luke, that salvation is found in only one person, and that is the Son of God who came to die, who came to resurrect, who came to deliver us from sin and from hell, and he's Jesus of Nazareth. That this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who grew up in the northern part of Israel, in a terrible town, in a horrific town, you would say the other side of the tracks, the wrong side of town, we would say, a Jewish boy, a carpenter's son, comes out to be the Messiah. And nobody would have believed it. And this, was the, this is the background. When you're reading Luke, you've got to remember, that's who they thought of Jesus. A carpenter's son, from the wrong side of the tracks, I'm not going to ask you who grew up in the wrong side of the tracks here. I certainly did. Alice did too. Lee, okay. We were known to be in the wrong side of the tracks. Wrong place, wrong time. Don't want to deal with those people, okay? And that's what they thought of Jesus. But he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he expounded the scriptures in such ways that it baffled them. It literally shocked them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they were the learned, they were the scholars, they were the ones who had studied in their schools, and Jesus was not part of that school of thinking. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher, yes, but he was not one of them. Uh, He was more um, appealing to the people. The people listened to him closely, and they were glad. Remember, it says in the Gospels that the common people heard Jesus, and they were glad. They knew he spoke with authority, not like, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, who had all these mumble jumbo and all these laws and all these things, how they accommodated certain things, and they were hypocrites, and yet they emphasized one thing, but they were guilty of major things on the other side. Yet Jesus comes along and he teaches the way to the Father, the way to God, and he begins to teach with authority. And the people began to like it, and the Pharisees began to get threatened because here's Jesus, a carpenter's son from the wrong side of the tracks. From, not even from Jerusalem, but from the northern part of Israel. How dare he comes into our territory and begins to teach things that we don't agree with? How dare, they, th- they said of Jesus. And this was one of the issues. His ministry, his ministry was about salvation. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember last week we read that he had not come for, the, for those who were well, but he had come for the sick. He did not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. Remember we talked about that the Pharisees didn't see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as as righteous, self-righteous, yes, but they saw themselves as not needing the Messiah, not needing the Savior, because they were a law unto themselves and they made their own provisions of righteousness, meaning the way to be right with God was through them and their laws and their interpretations and their uh, commitments to certain kosher laws and certain food laws. And uh, they themselves had built a power base, meaning that unless you were right with them, you couldn't be right with God. And they alienated so many people. The people didn't want nothing to do with them because they thought if this was the way to God, forget it. We don't want anything to do with it. And uh, the people wanted a relationship with God. God wanted a relationship with them. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees stood in the way and they blocked the way to salvation. And this is why Jesus comes on the scene, and this is their confrontation. Here's another confrontation. It's about the Sabbath. And so what is the Sabbath? Well, let's go to the next slide. The Sabbath. The Sabbath in the New Testament has the idea of rest, of rest. In the Old Testament, it has the idea of of completion, like the word seven is the idea of completion or fulfillment. But the idea comes from the idea of rest, that they are to stop their labors, and come to a restful period, a restful time. Now, this is embodiment in the, in the way they looked at the week. Six days they worked. On the seventh day, the Saturday, they would rest. And this was a, a given by the Lord that they were to do this. Six days you rest, seventh day you rest. And uh, this comes from the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we're told that God created all things. Everything that was made by God was created in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. God did not not need rest in terms of physical labor. He wasn't tired. God does not get tired. He is not weary. He doesn't get tired. Uh, What he speaks of rest is that he was done. He finished. Everything that needed to be created was created. And so God stopped, and he stopped creating. Uh, So uh, in terms of creation, God has stopped creating uh, things. There's nothing to be created. God created all things. Uh, but on the seventh day, he rested, and he gave that as a pattern to the Jewish people to say that, okay, look, this is what I did, this is what you're going to do. You're going to work for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to rest, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll read that in a moment, but in the book of Exodus, it becomes the law. It becomes the Decalogue. It becomes part of the Ten Commandments, the fourth one, which is you are to rest. That shalt keep the Sabbath holy. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath, that's all it says. That's all it says. Thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath. And the idea, the emphasis was, was rest. Now, the Pharisees comes along, and then the, um, over the years, and the culture and tradition of the, of the Jews, they begin to emphasize thou shalt not work instead of the rest. They begin to identify the fact that it says thou shalt not work as the embodiment of what they should do on the Sabbath. Don't do any work. Well, what does that mean? They would say. They would talk about work. What is work? And they would make all these laws, all these ideas of work and what we shouldn't do or shouldn't do, uh, should do or shouldn't do. And they began to formulate 39 different categories of work. 39 different categories. So by the time you get to the New Testament, they had become so. Full, replete, so incredibly um, inundated with rules and regulations about the Sabbath that the idea of rest had become forgotten. It was, it was a side issue because the importance was the strict observance of the Sabbath. That was what was important, okay? And the definition of work had become so broad that after a while, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Uh, there were things in the Mishnah, there were things in the, that were written by the Jews that filled two sections of the, of the Mishnah, which is a, a, like history a, an interpretation of, of the law and interpretation of interpretations, what this rabbi said, what this other guy said, and it becomes so flooded with jargon. Remember, they were key on legal issues. You ever talk to like a, a, a crooked lawyer, right? If you talk to like a crooked lawyer, no offense to good lawyers, but lawyers that are, are there to basically change the law and the technicality and, and this word means this and this word doesn't mean that and they write volumes and volumes of book, books you know sort of like Bill Clinton just incredible long stories about a certain word and what it means to get out of it to, to twist the law to the point where they could actually use it for themselves and that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had become the scribes in this case, the, the, the Pharisees, they defined the word work and elaborated on every aspect of life. Okay? So it became to the point where, and this is found in the, in the Mishnah and found some other Jewish writings, that sewing was a work. Lighting a candle was a work. Boiling some water was a work. Lighting a fire was a work. Walking a certain, uh, certain distance was a work. Uh, chopping wood was a work. Everything and anything became a work. Writing became a work. Uh, And now, in in, in fast forward to today, the Jews, Orthodox Jews, that still abide under this heavy yoke of law uh, regarding the Sabbath, have laws today. If you go to Israel, you can't, uh, on the Sabbath day, you can't push the button on an elevator um, because it's work. You can take the stairs, but you uh, you can't push the button on it. Uh, You can't write a letter, but you can send an email. It's okay to send an email, but you can't physically write a letter because so many letters mean so much work. And, uh, and so there was this, this incredible, uh, by the time you get down to the bottom of it, you probably broke every law, and people felt like they broke every law. Oh, man, I broke this. I broke, you know, The rabbi said I broke this. The, the, this, the scribe said I broke that. And, and people begin just to say, forget it. Forget it. I, I don't even know what it is, and it became such a burden the Saturday became such, people dreaded it. Oh, it's Friday night? Oh, man. Here we go. Now, what can we do? Go, go, go get the book out. Let's figure out what we cannot do. And then they will go on to this, you know, okay. Oh, man. Dad, you just went to the bathroom. You broke the law. Oh, man. And they had, it, was, it was that stringent upon the people. And now, God, all that God said is, thou shalt not do any work. You shall rest, rest and enjoy your Sabbath because it was given to man to enjoy. It was given to man to worship God, to follow him, to enjoy the presence of the Lord, to enjoy their families, to enjoy the time that they had from those six laborious days come to the seventh day to rest. And now it became much more of a burden. It became such a burden. People didn't want to do it anymore because the Pharisees and the scribes focused on it to such degree that it was only through the strict observance that you can actually find your way to God, okay? It wasn't even in the Bible. It was oral traditions and written traditions that they emphasize. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 1. The Sabbath, um, so this is what the Sabbath becomes. This is what the Sabbath becomes. Let's go to the, um, actually keep it, there we go, next slide. He passed through the grain fields, and his disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing on their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? So this is another one of these laws. What was the law? It was harvesting and threshing. Harvesting and threshing. According to the rabbinical scribe law, you could not thresh, and you could not uh, harvest on that day. And so if somebody was walking along the fields and saw some uh, uh, grain and, hey, rub it in their hands, you know, if you ever done that, it's really, I've done that, it's actually really cool it's, if you eat it. If you eat raw wheat, things like that, it's actually really tasty. It's actually not bad. I could see why if you're hungry, you would do that. And they did it. And the Pharisees come, the Sadduce- the, the scribes come, and they began to tell them, This is not lawful. Hey, hey, you just broke uh, uh, paragraph 5, section C, number 3. What is that? Don't harvest and don't thresh on the Sabbath. Well, we're not harvesting and threshing. We're just eating. It's just food, man. And we're hungry. But you see the contention. The contention was, viol- Jesus, you're violating the Sabbath. Your disciples are violating the Sabbath. Now, it doesn't say Jesus was doing it. It says the disciples were doing it. But the way the, 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 the Pharisees and the, the culture, if your disciples were doing it, you're, you're guilty because you're allowing it to do it. That, that's how they saw Jesus. And so Jesus tells them, verse 3, Haven't you read when David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? that he entered the house of God, and he took and ate it sacred bread, which was not lawful for any of the priests to eat. was not lawful for any of the priests to eat. Now, this is, this is very interesting. So the contention starts, and Jesus doesn't go to the law. It would have been easy. It would have been maybe normal. Maybe the Pharisees thought that they were going to get in an argument with Jesus. Hey, you know, he's going to use that verse, and we're going to use that verse. He's going to go to this verse, and we're going to counteract with that verse. And he's going to say this, but we're going to say this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said that, and and we're going to get him. But Jesus doesn't go to the law. Where does he go? He goes to the book of Samuel. That probably shocked them. Most likely the Pharisees were not prepared for this story. What was the story? It is the story that is a fascinating story. It's in the book of Samuel, chapter 21. You can read it on your own. It's a fascinating story. David and his men are fleeing from Saul. They're fleeing from King Saul. David is anointed by God to be king, but Saul wants to hold on to his power, and he's fleeing. And he gets up to the point where he meets the priest. Abiathar, the priest, we told in Mark that that was the priest, and Jesus tells a story that David was hungry. And when he entered into the, uh, into the house of the Lord, the priest gave them the food. He gave them something to eat. What kind of, what kind of a food did he eat them? Did, did he give them to eat? Thank you. You guys are so good. Um, you guys almost like read my mind. Um, it's David's men fleeing from Saul. They enter into the house of the Lord, and Abiathar, the priest, gives David the table of showbread, the bread that was on the table of showbread. Um, now, it would be nice to have a model of the of the of the temple here, but uh, picture in your mind how the, the way the temple and the holy place would have looked like. Uh, there would have been the Holy of Holies. Let's say this was the Holy of Holies here. In the Holy of Holies, you would have had the Ark of the Covenant and there would be a, a veil that would separate that room from the rest of the, the, the room, the rest of the tabernacle. And there was a, a veil was about six inches thick. So don't think of a veil like those flimsy little things, but a real thick veil real thick veil, which is the one that was torn. Remember, when Jesus died, the veil was torn. It was a supernatural thing that happened because that veil was very thick. It was in a little tiny veil, about six inches thick. And that was, the, that was the, the Holy of Holies. That's the place where the priests would go once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer the blood. Once a year, that's it. You can only go once a year. And you had to be right with the Lord. Right? Remember, some of the, we know from history, some of the priests in there were not doing so well, and they died in the presence of God. But at the outside, it's called the holy place. The holy place, you find the menorah and you find the table of showbread. Among other things, you find the table of showbread. This was bread that was baked every single day and offered to the Lord. It was baked daily and offered to the Lord, daily. And it was offered to God. And this was amazing because uh, the, the, the bread would actually go to the priest, The priests did not have jobs. They were not like the other rest of the the children of Israel. They lived off the offerings of the temple. They lived off what people gave, and they lived off the bread of of the temple. And Abiathar, the priest, gives David the bread that was for them to eat. He gives it to David, and he gives it to the men that were with David. Why? Simple answer. Because they were hungry. Simple answer. Straight answer. They were hungry. It wasn't some spiritual thing. It wasn't some great mystery. David was hungry, running from Saul. His men were hungry. The priest says, you boys look hungry. Look, I'm going to give of what's entitled to me. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you my, my bread. And they ate it. Now, Jesus tells a story, which in a lot of cases you wonder, why did Jesus tell us a story? What was the point? They're talking about the Sabbath. We don't even know if this was, uh, was happened on a Sabbath. What did Jesus tell us the story? Because Jesus is not going to mangle and wrangle about legal matters of the law the way the Pharisees wanted. He was going to give a story, an actual event, when somebody in in need, the law was set aside for somebody in need. What do you mean the law was set aside? meaning that the law was put in suspension, meaning that it was held because somebody was in need. And the greater thing to do was take care of that need rather than mangle and wrangle about whether you kept the law that day or not. And so in Luke, he says this, have you not read that he entered into the house and he took the sacred bread, which was not lawful? (gasps) That's right, the Pharisees would say. That's a weird story, Jesus. We don't understand it, but that has nothing to do with the Sabbath. Well, Jesus gives a story because here's an example where there's no condemnation on David. There's no condemnation on David. In fact, God never said anything about what he did was wrong. In fact, it was okay for the priest to give him the bread, even though it was only meant for the priest. David was hungry. And so Jesus takes the story of human need, and he says... That right there answers your question about the Sabbath. That answers the question about why you are to do good on the Sabbath. This is something that he talks about it in the next section, which is healing. Because he goes from a human need of hunger to a human need of somebody needs healing. somebody needs Somebody's sick. Somebody has a withered hand. And it's on the Sabbath. And Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath. And so here's David, the anointed one of God, who... By taking the bread, there's no condemnation against him. But the priest gives it to him freely. There's no problem with it. And here's Jesus, the anointed one of God, the Messiah. He says in chapter 6, verse, um, verse 4, He entered the house, and the priest gave him the bread. He even gave some to those who were with him. And he told them, verse 5, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, who is far above the law, who is the one who gives the law. David was an anointed person. He was anointed one uh, as a king. But here is the King of kings. Here is the Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that he is divine. He's deity. He's God. And he can set aside the law and suspend the law for a moment, so a human need can be taken care of. You can't do that, they would say. Oh, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He has authority. The word son of man is an incredible story, uh, uh, incredible word. 25 times the son of man is given in Luke. I'll give you some examples. Uh, The word son of man, the, the title itself comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel has a vision of one like the son of man coming in the clouds. It's it's talking about the ultimate authority of mankind is the Son of Man. It was a title for the Messiah, but it was given as a title of, of a messianic figure coming to rule over mankind. Jesus takes this title, the Son of Man, and he applies it to himself, and he does a few things with it. Number one, he has all authority over mankind. He is the Son of Man. Whenever the Bible talks about Jesus returning... And as a judge, Jesus is returning to, Jew, to, to rule mankind, to judge mankind. He is called the Son of Man. Meaning this, that God has given us one like us to be supreme and ruler over us. And he is Jesus, the Son of Man. He is both God and man. The Romans were ruling the empire. And uh, they, they were very uh, the atrocities against the Jews. He lived in an occupied country. Jesus suffered that. Oh, well, Jesus was never betrayed. Yes, he was. He was never replaced. Yes, he was. All the things that you and I can say, all things that anyone can say about yourself and your disadvantage happened to Jesus. And so when we stand before God, we can't say, you don't know what that means to be a human. God can say, yes, there is one that knows and understands everything you say. And why didn't you come to him? Why didn't you receive salvation from him? Why didn't you go to him? Uh, uh, See, man is without excuse because we have one like the Son of Man who has all authority. And this is his authority here, that he is the the Lord of the Sabbath. He has authority on the earth to do anything. He's God, but he's also one like us. His mission, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The title for the Son of Man is a title of salvation. He's one like us who's come to rescue us, to seek and to save which was lost. It also symbolizes his suffering. The Son of Man will be betrayed and given over to the hands of sinful men. He will be given over and die. He will die and rise again. The suffering of the Messiah. But also his glory. When you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in great glory. See, the Son of Man, the title, of Son of Man. It's everything regarding the ministry of Jesus, his authority, his uh, authority of of all mankind, his return, his suffering, his ministry, all the things that embody Jesus. It's embodied in the word new, uh, the son of man has come in to seek that which was lost. He's the son of man and he has authority on the earth to set aside the legal ruling. Was David wrong? Not according to God. Was eating something on the Sabbath, threshing, you know, going down the grain and eating the grain and putting it on your hand and eating it, was that wrong? Not according to Jesus. Why? It's the Sabbath. Uh-oh, wait, wait, wait. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. You see his authority? He can do anything. He can set it aside and he said, that's not wrong. Why? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, I don't like that. Too bad. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made for man, was, uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It was meant for, uh, for man to enjoy the rest that God had promised. More of that in a moment. Now, let's go to the next story because it has to do with the Sabbath again. On another Sabbath, verse 6, we don't know if it's the next Saturday. We don't know if it's two weeks. We don't know. It says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was paralyzed. It had withered. In fact, the word hand, uh, you can substitute the word hand. It actually means arm. His whole arm was withered. It wasn't just his hand. It was his whole arm. The word is for arm. Um, this was a great disadvantage socially. He couldn't work. It's somebody who was destitute. It's somebody who had been uh, maybe an outcast of society because he was not able to perform anything without his hand. His, uh, his right hand Especially his right hand, um, which is basically in that culture was basically uh, everything you did was with your right hand. It was a symbol culturally of work, of power, of strength, and he was paralyzed. He couldn't do anything. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So this is almost something of a, of a trap, you could say. They knew that this man was there. They knew Jesus was coming. They knew Jesus would probably do something, and they were watching very carefully. We're going to get him. We know he has compassion for people. We know that he's going he's to come in the Sabbath. Remember, they have come into conflict with Jesus about the Sabbath. And uh, they didn't like that Jesus was uh, ridiculing them. And, and taking a story from Samuel where they wanted to get into some legal jargon, he pulls a story about a human need. Ah, oh, human need? Who cares about human need? We want to talk about the law. We want to talk about how it really works out. We want to talk about if you're really keeping it. Do you see the difference? They could have cared less. That guy was, was had a paralyzed hand. He had a, a withered hand. Probably an older guy. They probably never helped him get around and ministry, minister to him in his life. And they probably saw tons of people hungry but they didn't care and go the, uh, get the grain themselves and feed the people. All they wanted was, hey, man, are you keeping with the law? Are you keeping with those, uh, you know, paragraph 6 and section 35 of, of, of my book? You better make sure you're doing it. If you're not doing it, we're going to come and get you. And people were afraid of these people. And they were, they were afraid of them, but they were hated, too, at the same time. Now, uh, the healing on the Sabbath... This is a category of work that was also in the Mishnah. Now, let me—I I left that off for a moment because it fits in the story much much better here. Plus, you probably forgot what I said at the first ten minutes. Um, the idea here was there was a compensation for uh, life and death situations on the Sabbath, meaning that if a mom was going to in, was going to, into labor, they would say, "Oh, it's okay. She could deliver on the Sabbath. We're okay with that." Well, thank you, you know, uh, ladies. Right? If, uh, if oh well, yeah, just just make it quick. Don't don't labor too long. It's a Sabbath. You know, we'll let you do it, but uh, you know, don't don't take too long. Make sure the baby's born on the, uh, You know, if you can wait till tomorrow, I would be much better. But oh well, you know, you can do it. You see how the legalities, right? Uh, ladies, you understand that when the baby's coming, doesn't matter. Babies don't care about the Sabbath. They're coming no matter what day it is, right? Uh, I could t- I could tell you from experience, babies don't care. They just come, if, whether in your hospital or in the parking lot. They just come. But they made a special ruling. They said, "Well, if it's about babies, well, I guess we can do it." And they said, "Well, if it's also if it's life and death, we can make an exception. You can save a life on a Sabbath. It's okay. You know, this is, if you can hold off, though. And this is what this is very important. If you can hold off on healing something that's non-life threatening." We would rather you do it on Monday or make an appointment or go to those crusades that are on a certain day, and they're surely going to heal people there on on a certain day. So maybe you can go to those crusades. Just don't go on a crusade on Saturday. Just don't get healed on the Sabbath. That's what they would do. Basically, that was their entitlement. This healing of this paralytic, because it was not life-threatening. His hand was paralyzed. It was withered. It was not life-threatening. They consider that a work if it happened on the Sabbath. And this is why the importance of Jesus healing this man in the confrontation that this occurred. Look what it says. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, uh, in verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 8, he knew their thoughts and told the man with the paralyzed hands, get up here and stand here. Jesus knew that they were going to say something, so he called the man, invited the man. Hey, come here, come here real quick. Yeah, you, with the paralyzed hand, come on. Stand right here. Okay, hey, everyone, Pharisees, uh, is it okay to uh, do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Is it okay to, uh, uh, to save a life? Is it okay to, um, uh, what is the word, Sa- yeah, save a life or to destroy a life? Now, they were not going to be called out on the carpet as evildoers. People are watching and uh, they were not going to answer. Remember when Jesus asked them about John the Baptist, whether his baptism was from heaven or not, or from men? They couldn't answer. Jesus was, was a master teacher at relating to the Pharisees before the people and making them come out and say what they really believed. After looking around them all, he says, he told them, stretch out your hand. told the, 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 the paralytic, he told the, the man with the withered hand. He did so, and his, hands was, his hand was restored. And they, however, were filled with rage. They were furious, and they started discussing how they were going to deal with Jesus. Oh, boy. This is exactly what the religious leaders did not want to happen. They were keeping an eye on him, and when he began to do that miracle, which was outside the scope of the law that they had made for themselves, remember? All God said was, just don't do any work. Well, automatically, man says, well, what does that mean? Does it mean I could do... God says, just rest. Just enjoy me. Enjoy the fact that you know me, enjoy the rest that I give you. You just work six days, rest, relax, and enjoy the Lord. But they made all kinds of categories about work, and instead of emphasizing on the rest, they're emphasizing on the work. What is work? And they kept an eye on Jesus, and when he healed, they said, "This is it, man. He made us look foolish." That man, that, that carpenter from Nazareth, that man from the other side of the tracks, he's making us look bad. And we don't like that because our power base is being affected. And so they said, we're going to deal with him. And this, from this verse on, you see the snowball, how they hated Jesus more and more. They were envious of him, and they conspired to betray him. And they finally got one of their disciples to come on their side, Judas, and for 30 pieces of silver, they betrayed him. So this began the, the, the effect of the ministry of Jesus, how the Pharisees and scribes hated him because he told the truth, he told people the truth, he told them the way to God, and he was dealing with their hypocrisy. You know, remember in chapter 5, that was the whole point about calling sinners to repentance. They didn't see themselves as sinners. All those who call themselves sinners will receive salvation. All those who are self-righteous... Jesus would say, I didn't come for those people. I came for those who are really sinners. Now, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in that category. But if you don't see yourself as a sinner, if you don't see yourself as breaking God's commandment and being in judgment against God, then um, I guess salvation doesn't apply to you because you would have to deal with the judgment of God. But see, all those who see themselves as sinners can obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus, can receive his forgiveness. And so Jesus was teaching that and they were upset and they spent uh, this time um, discussing to one another what they might do to Jesus. Now let's go to the next slide. Uh, There's one verse here, we're going to deal with that next week uh, regarding the 12 apostles. Uh, But I just want to mention about prayer because it's in the context of prayer that it says Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, and he also named the 12 apostles, and he gives the name of the 12. Now remember, Jesus had 70, as far as we know, the 70. He appeared to 500 of them after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus had at some point maybe as many as 500 people that followed him. There was lots of people that followed him, but there were 70, 70 that were close to him, and out of those, 12 were chosen, to be the apostles, to be those who were being the closest to Jesus. And these are the 12. Uh, We'll we'll study that next week. But I want to emphasize the fact that Jesus spent time in prayer. There's a huge aspect of our life that needs to be understood regarding prayer. And through prayer, we can do all things that the Lord wants us to do. But it's only through prayer. Prayer is the guiding light for any ministry, for any person. It's, it's how we know and uh, uh, you know, commune with God with his word open and our hands and our knees uh, on the floor lifted up, hands lifted up, knees on the ground, praying to the Lord, asking him for direction. Now, this is Jesus, the Son of God, asking direction. Father, communing with God, what to do? Show me, Lord. And oh, what a relationship we've had with the Father and this is something that we have to understand as well about prayer. Oh, how little in ministry we do, um, how ministry is done is through prayer, but how little we do with prayer. It's, um, it's an amazing thing that we allow uh, many of our ministers, and we're guilty of the same thing. It's, it's not, it's not to, to say to the degree that, hey, we're the only ones who pray, but it's to say that we need to be careful in decisions and, and how we go forward in ministry, and it's only through prayer and in communion with the Lord, that we will know closer and closer um, the truth of the Lord and how he wants us to direct our lives. Uh, this, is, this in particular was going regarding the 12. He was going to choose 12, and Jesus was going to pray. And he spent all night praying, and uh, we'll study that in a moment. And next week, because there's an important part about prayer that we're going to talk about next week. But I want to go back to the Sabbath thing. We want to finish our service, but I want to go back to uh, prayer. I'm sorry, the Sabbath sabbath observance remember that uh if you go to the next slide the sabbath idea in the new testament takes on a whole new form than it was in the old testament the new testament takes sabbath and it doesn't describe it as a day but it begins to describe it as a person okay so the sabbath goes from being a day to being a person what do you mean a person Uh, Paul the Apostle wrote a few things about the Sabbath and about new moons and festivals. And he said in the book of Romans that don't steam one day above the other. Some people steam one day above this one. Some some others steam another day above this one. We are to steam all days the same because they're all the Lord's. We're to live for the Lord. We belong to the Lord. So all days are important. There's not one day that's more important than the other. uh, In the Lord. We would say, well, isn't Sunday more important? I would say, do you pray on Sunday as well as you pray on Monday? The only difference on Monday is that we don't convocate as much. We have some meetings on Monday, but Sunday becomes the most, uh, the day that we convocate, the way that we congregate the most. That Wednesdays as well as in other days. But it is not a day where we say, man, that day, that day I'm going to behave really well and I'm going to do anything on that day because it's Sunday. And you know, Sunday we go to church and I wear my best clothes and I do this and I do that and I don't do that. But once Monday comes and uh, we let our hair down and everything goes out the window, that's not the point of the New Testament. The New Testament says don't observe one day above the other. They, they don't, in terms of weight and how do we follow the Lord, they mean the same thing, except that on Sundays we get together, we congregate more. Paul goes on to say in the book of Colossians that. Regarding new moons, regarding festivals, regarding Sabbath. Yes, he uses the word Sabbath there. Uh, He says, let no one judge you on those things. Let no one judge you because those things are shadows. All those Old Testament things. Uh, You know, sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you realize, what does that mean, that sacrifice? You know, the grain offering, the, 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 the drink offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the bulls and the goats and all this stuff. Why was... The New Testament says that they were shadows. But the substance is of Jesus. The substance is Jesus. Um, you see a shadow here? My hand is a shadow or a shadow in the back there? That's just simply a reflection of something that's real, though. The shadow has no, the shadow has no substance. But the person is the substance. Paul says all the Old Testament things, the sacrifices, the Sabbath, the festivals, Were pictures shadows of Jesus? The main important thing is Jesus. You can learn about the person in the Old Testament. You can learn about the festivals, the feast, the sacrifices. You can learn about them because it'll teach you about the person. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you read the feast of the Lord. They all point to Christ. The sacrifices all point to Christ. The the offerings all point to Jesus. He is the substance. That's the main point. Now, I'm going to go to one scripture. You guys can go with me. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 makes the case about the person being the rest. Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, the Pharisees were interested in the strict observance of the law. Jesus was talking about his authority. The Pharisees were interested in keeping the observances as they did. Jesus was emphasizing the human need and the fact that the Son of Man has come and to save that which was lost. He has the authority. The Sabbath becomes a picture of Jesus. Not a day, not a day, but a person. Um, In the book of Exodus, we're told that the Sabbath is a sign between God and the Jewish people. It's a sign. In the New Testament, we don't have any, any regulation or observances required for Christians to, have a, to do the Sabbath. There's no requirement of it. People have made the case that, oh, we have to keep the Sabbath, we have to keep the Sabbath. Um, if we have to keep the Sabbath, we have to deal with this verse first. We have to deal with the fact that the Sabbath no longer becomes a day. It becomes a person. And the rest doesn't just mean a day of rest on a physical day, The rest now becomes salvation. You have ceased from your works and have entered into the rest. Look with me, chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear so that none of you should miss it. Now, this is regarding um, the book of Hebrews. I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell. The book of Hebrews is trying to tell us that Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than the angels, greater than the temple, greater than the sacrifices, greater than anything in the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. He's greater than that. The emphasis is Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the emphasis. And he says in chapter 3, but there were some in the wilderness who did not enter into the rest that God gave them because the rest was getting into the promised land. They didn't enter in because they were disobedient, because they didn't enter in with faith. They didn't enter in uh, with the promises of God. They were disobedient unto God, and they were kept out of it. And God says, they will not enter into my rest. That was the condemnation. They will not enter into my rest because they're not willing to follow me. So chapter 4 in Hebrews, the writer is pleading with you and me not to let that happen to you. Not to let that happen to me. He says that none of you should miss it. Please don't miss this. It's sort of like the way we would say it today. Guys, if you're listening to this, don't miss it. Don't miss this point. The rest is now coming into faith in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate rest that God wants. The ultimate rest is that you would be saved, and you would be born again, and that you would enter into the rest that God has given us for eternity. Verse 2, for we have received good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who heard it in faith. They didn't mix it with faith. For we who have believed enter into the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter into my rest. God was angry at the people in the wilderness because they did not enter into his rest. So the book of Hebrews says, don't miss this. Don't do what they did. Follow the good news. Hear the voice of the Lord. Don't harden your heart, it says in Hebrews. The day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like the people did in the wilderness. They displeased God with their disobedience. They displeased the Lord, and they did not enter into the rest. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given him rest, he would not have spoken about a later rest. A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God there's a Sabbath day that remains. Well, what was he talking about? The Sabbath was already given. He's talking about this. For the person who has entered the rest has rested from his works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that none will fail into the same pattern of disobedience. The disobedience was they did not enter into the rest in the Old Testament, in the wilderness. They did not enter into it because they were unfaithful, disobedient. Hebrews says, you don't do that. Don't follow that pattern. You have a day of rest that's ahead of you. What is it? Christ Jesus. He is everything about the rest that you you need to know. Not a day, an eternity with him. Ceasing from your work, meaning that you no longer are attached to performance to save yourself and to go to heaven. You are now be given a free gift of eternal life. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. And so the free gift of God is the rest that you can come into. How will we know this? Well, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the divide of soul and spirit joins in marrow. And it is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from it. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we have to deal. Therefore, we have a great high priest Since we have a great high priest who will pass through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast to that confession. Again, Hebrews is always talking about our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tested in every way, yet without sin. And here's a great promise to all believers. He says, therefore, let us come to the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of trouble. Oh, what a promise. How? The rest. What rest? Is it a day? Is it tonight? Is it tomorrow? Is it Saturday? No. We have entered into the rest of Jesus Christ. 20 years ago or so, well, not 20 years ago, yeah, almost, I entered into my rest, an eternal rest where I stopped striving in myself to please God and how to do the things that I needed to be saved and work and performance and legal things and how to please God through my own performance. And none of it worked. Until I came to that rest that the Bible promises. Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, enter into his salvation, receive his promises. The, ch- the children of Israel in the wilderness did not, re- did not receive those promises. They were disobedient to them. Hebrew says, don't do that. Enter into the rest that is Jesus Christ. Enter into his promises. Believe on his promises. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he rose again for you. Believe that he's coming again. Believe in him. Come to Christ Jesus. You had problems with sin in your life? Are there weaknesses and characters and flaws in your life? Yes, we have a high priest that can sympathize with you. And he knows your weaknesses. And he still loves you. And he still wants you to forgive you. And he still wants you to come to him. And he still wants you to enter into that rest. In the, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, the Bible says uh, God promised to Moses, Moses, I will go with you, and you will find your rest. It was the Spirit of God that gave them the rest that they were entering into. In the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Uh, we have the rest in Christ Jesus, and we have his Spirit. When the Holy Spirit was given to the church in the book of Acts, um, it, was, it, was, it was to show us that God was not going to leave us orphans, but he was going to give us his Spirit. And his spirit is with us. And those who are born again have the spirit of the Lord. Walk in that rest. Enjoy that rest. Enter in if you have not entered in. Because the book of Hebrews leaves us with this. He says, if people in the Old Testament, when they did not obey Moses, what happened to them? Oh boy, yeah. It was bad. How much more so those who have neglected such great salvation in Jesus. If those who disobeyed Moses was one thing, it was, it was severe punishment, how much more those who neglect such great salvation that's offered to you and me through Jesus Christ? Oh, it's a great reward. It's a great blessing. It's a great and awesome thing to be saved and to come to know him. But to reject it, it's sobering to think of what's ahead for those who reject and neglect the gift of God. If God was not pleased with them to enter into his rest, God is certainly not pleased when we neglect such great salvation. It's one thing we forget to talk about, that God pleads with us to enter in, but God wants us to enter in because of why? There's a judgment outside of that camp. There's only judgment outside of Jesus Christ. You don't want to stay outside of it. You want to enter in. So the promise of Hebrews, come on in, enter in, be close to your high priest. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to enter into his rest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is so amazing to think, Lord, that this rest, Jesus, our Sabbath rest, it is our portion. He is our portion. He is our peace. He is our Sabbath rest. Lord, we can stop striving from trying to do good works to be saved. Lord, we'll never get there trying to keep the law in order to be saved, trying to keep the law in order to have some value in salvation. Lord, those things will never measure up. We will never be able to keep it. And Lord, in some of us, we were tired of trying so hard to keep up with the laws because we were told that good works would save us that good works will get us to heaven. And what a shock to find out that it made us tired, it made us alienated from you, it made us distant from you, where all we had to do is enter into his rest. Oh, Lord, what a difference between religion and what you said, that to come to you simply by faith in a faithful relationship with you Lord, I ask you this this morning for those who listen, those who are hearing, for those who are watching, and maybe today you grab a hold of their attention. I, I pray, Father, I plead with them, but I pray, Lord God, that you would move within their hearts right now and begin to move within them, Lord, the fact that they, they may be tired of trying to be good, and that needs to stop. Because, Lord, we need to stop trying to be good as a means of salvation. We need to definitely stop, we need to stop from sinning and repent from those sins, but we need to repent from the good things that we've done too because that doesn't measure up to salvation either. The only thing is entering to his rest, the salvation that is only in Christ Jesus the Lord. So Lord, thank you for your word. It is a it is a, a, a sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to bring the the the, 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 the the divide between marrow and bone and spirit and soul. Lord, I thank you that you have not stopped from, you haven't stopped from reaching mankind. You haven't stopped in offering salvation to those who believe. Lord, I thank you for today. And I ask you, Lord God, that those who are listening, that they would come to the rest today that they would have a true born-again experience, or that they would know you as, the, as the, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. Lord, we only offer Jesus and him crucified. That's our goal in life, is to preach Christ. That's our measure of life. Um, Lord, may this church be known as uh, entering into the rest that is in Christ Jesus, that we would proclaim, Lord, good news to the hearers, Good news, Lord, because outside of this, there's only judgment and condemnation. Lord, I thank you. And I ask you, Lord, today um, for your spirit to move within our hearts for prayer, uh, for the people of God to pray, for the people of God to make a commitment to you, Lord, to pray and not to lose heart, not to be discouraged. It's so easy to be discouraged in today's day, to listen to the news, to find Uh, difficult things that are in life, Lord, and and yet we forget that that we have to find a rest. And the rest is you, Lord. The rest is your promises. You said, come unto me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, you restore our soul, as as the Psalm 23 says. You give us um, rest by still waters, and you restore our soul. Um, Lord, we need restoration of our soul this morning. Um, Lord, thank you that your word is... It's what conforms us to your image, not to the image of this world. So, Lord, I, I, I pray for our, the Lord's table right now going to be um, given out. And, um, Lord, I pray that we would enter into this rest of salvation for those who believe. Uh, Lord, for the believers, Lord, I, I pray for the, that they would continue in that rest and not look back and not hold back and to pray and to seek you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.